0: didn't happen that's all right hey welcome everyone glad you're here on this uh, wintry weather morning thank you for um, being the stalwart men and women of God that you you are and if you're joining us online and you're not a stalwart man or woman of God we're still glad you're with us and joining us joining us online uh, welcome glad you're here pray that God has blessed you already Some of you may not know this, but I I try and resist telling jokes that I know aren't going to hit everybody. Um, You may think, really? Really? (laughs) You do that? I hadn't noticed. So, but um, um, one of my favorite people, Hannah Shoup turns, has a big birthday this week. So I'm going to tell a joke, one of my favorites in her honor this morning (laughs) for her. And if she's the only one who gets it, then hopefully she'll get it. So this guy named Bill Smith, he passes away. At Bill's funeral, his his wife Anne is sitting on the front row, and as she's she's sitting there, one of the family friends comes by Anne and says, uh, "I have a word." She says, "Okay, go ahead and share it." So the friend stands up, and he goes, "Plethora," and then sits down. And as he passes by on his way to sit down, the the widow the widow says, "Thanks." That means a lot. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. That's my vocabulary joke for today. Those literary people, uh, you'll get it. Others have someone explain it to you if you don't get it at all. The sermon we're going to talk about this morning, it it does mean a lot. And that's why I'm queuing it up. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Verses 1 through 13, we're talking about the water in the wilderness this time of prayer and fasting, and uh, today we're on the wilderness experience where Jesus is led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there are a thousand sermons in this passage, and so I'm going to preach them all. Um, I'm going to try not to preach them all, but I'm not sure that we at times grasp the unbelievable importance of this passage. Um, When we think of the Bible, we think about the truth that God creates, Um, man falls, Adam falls, Uh, Israel has a covenant relationship with God, but they also fail. Then Jesus comes, uh, Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus is resurrected and lives and then ascended to heaven and Jesus is going to return. That's kind of the, for many of us, the framework of what the Bible is teaching, the continual revelation of God. There's a lot of other things in the the mix, but I at times don't think we grasp the unbelievable importance of this wilderness time that Christ undergoes what are called the temptations. So let's read this passage, and then I want to make some comments on it, and then I am going to try and narrow it down to just uh, one sermon for us this morning. Here's Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high mount place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the high point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said to him, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now the devil's quoting the Bible. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Here's some points I want to make on this just as an overview. First is the realness of this time. This is not some, I don't believe this is just some inner thing Jesus is going through. I believe God incarnate in full humanity is led by the into the desert and the devil who i also believe is a real there's a real person creature devil satan appears to him is there in physical form in this temptation experience i don't think this is just a mind game that jesus is going through there's a reality here that the fasting was real the temptation was real the devil was real jesus is real There's a reality here. So many times people read this story as kind of a mythological kind of inner turmoil kind of uh, experience. And I I believe that if we don't really embrace the realness of it, that we'll miss what is is going on. The second point is the leading. How did Jesus get in the wilderness? How did Jesus get there? He didn't just kind of wander out there. It says Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is not some accidental meeting that's taking place between God and human flesh and the evil one, Satan, the tempter. I believe this was orchestrated. The Spirit of God knew, God knew. And Jesus is led into the wilderness by the power and presence of of the spirit of God. And let me just say this. I don't know where in your theology you kind of look at the temptation experience, but for me, this is this is this is the moment. This is the battle. I don't know if you picture what a world war or really a universal war is going to look like, but this is it. This is the war between God and the devil. This is the place where it takes, where it happens, that God, the Spirit, leads God, the Son, into the de- desert to have this battle with the evil one. And everything hinges on the outcome of this battle. All humanity, past, present, future, hinges on what takes place here in the wilderness. It's not only real, but it, 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 there is a leading that takes place, and there are... There are many scriptural parallels, and this is where you could get into a 100 different sermons about uh, what is taking place. So let me just give you a couple of them. The first parallel is the parallel between the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam is in the garden, the place of much. The second Adam, Jesus, is in the wilderness. The first Adam has everything he can want and eat. The second Adam has been fasting for 40 days. The devil comes to the first Adam and questions what God is saying. Did God really say, don't do this? And the second Adam, he, he is, notice what the devil says to Jesus from the outgo. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, do you remember what happened with Jesus right before this incident? right before he's led into the wilderness. He gets baptized, right? The spirit of God comes upon him in the form of a dove. The heavens open, the father declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Immediately the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God. It's the same tactic, it's the same God said, but the devil makes this question. Did God really say? The parallels are there. The first Adam falls, the second Adam is not going to fall. And all everything hinges on his not falling. There are other parallels. 40 days in the wilderness equates to the 40 years of wanderings in by the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel also fails. First Adam fails, the second the Israel Israeli covenant that Israel, the Jewish, um, what God had called the people of God to, I'm stumbling over my words, forgive me, but the Jewish people fail in their covenant relationship with God. God provides everything in the wilderness. Jesus is going to, Jesus is going to succeed. It's also no accident. I believe that the three quotations that Jesus gives of the word of God, he could have quoted anywhere, but where does he quote all three? of these passages that he quotes are from? They're from Deuteronomy. They're from Moses' giving, re-giving of the law to the nation of Israel before he, um, they go into the promised land and he dies. See, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. There's a parallel here to what took place. Where Israel failed, Jesus is going to succeed. It says in 1 John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. John, later, and here's my final parallel before I get to where I want us to be this morning, is that there's a parallel for us today. If we look back at the first Adam and think, oh, what a jerk, he fell, everybody fell. Look look at Israel, they failed. But we don't have to look far beyond the mirror to know that we too are tempted. We too struggle. The world is pressing in on us with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I think all three of these really parallel, not only the first Adam, but the second Adam as well. The lust of the flesh When the enemy comes to Eve, he says, it's good for food. I want it. My flesh wants it. The enemy comes to Jesus and says, when he's fasted, turn these stones into bread. He's coming after his flesh. The lust of the eyes. When the woman saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. The enemy takes Jesus and offers him the kingdoms and their splendor, very appealing to the eye. By the way, I'm not getting into the whole theological premise here. Did, could the devil give him the kingdoms of this world? He says it's mine to give. I mean, he is a liar. So you, how do you know if a liar is lying? I, I don't know. Some old jokes I won't tell there, but how do you, you know their lips are moving, kind of thing. But. Um, I'm not sure there's a question there that he could have given jesus this but jesus knew this is not the kind of messiah he was coming to be and the pride of life enemy appeals to eve and says it's you'll be like god you'll be like god it's desirable for gaining wisdom to take this fruit and the temple spectacle think of how Unbelievable that would have been in front of everybody for Jesus to cast himself off and the angels to rescue him. How much pride? It's pretty prideful. And we struggle with, I think, these same things on a continual basis. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There is a parallel for us today. And so not only is Jesus in the temptation experience winning the battle over the enemy for the past overcoming what the first Adam and the nation of Israel had done. But I think he's winning it for the future for us to say, you can overcome, I'm going to overcome. So you're going to be more than an overcomer and you can have victory in these areas. I I just finished a a book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies and in the book, He's saying that the devil really hasn't changed tactics all that much. He just makes it more culturally appealing, where he's trying to get different ages to come into the same thing, and that the church, and he's not making this appeal, by the way, this book is not intended for the world. It's really to the church to say, you're being robbed of your destiny in the Lord when you believe the lies of the enemy and that the world the flesh and the devil are coming against you to try and get you to believe his tactic is he's the father of lies he's trying to get you to believe a lie and to walk in a lie and it's what we see in the temptation experience we see the enemy coming to jesus and trying to get him to buy into these various lies and by the way like he did to the woman in the garden and he does to Jesus. If if the lie were an all-out falsehood, it would be easy to battle. But when there's like 90% true, and then he twists the other ten percent to his means, it's a little harder to discern. But if a statement is not all true, it's none true, at least in a spiritual sense. And so we need to walk in the truth of the Word of God. And so that's where I want us to focus just for a minute here, is that this this truth, so to speak, that you are going to undergo temptation. You're going to undergo the lies of the enemy. How do you battle? How do you recognize and how do you battle for truth? The first point is this, recognition that you will undergo temptation, Let me say, for some people, there's this lie that that says once you get saved, you're like protected from the lies of the enemy. There's nothing biblical that says you're gonna As a matter of fact, you will undergo. There's that that's a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You will have trouble. You will have trial. You know, I, I, I can't remember the comedian who talked about uh, praying a hedge of protection around people. Why a hedge? You know, a hedge doesn't seem like it's all that protecting to me. He, may, he goes on and on about uh, the hedge. And, um, you know, for us, we need to recognize that uh, there's probably holes in our hedges. And we're going to undergo temptations. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Again, there's a Spirit-led component to what Jesus is undergoing. And I think there's some truths here that are important first. First is this, trials, and I know the word trial and the word temptation are slightly different, but they're pretty synonymous in a lot of ways. Uh, trials and temptations. You're gonna undergo trials or temptations. They're everywhere, and everyone has them. There's not a person in this room who probably, since they got up this morning, has not been tempted in some way. Some of you are probably tempted not to come to church. Some of you are tempted to who knows what. In just a couple hours, you've been awake. Temptations, trials are everywhere. We need to recognize them. If we don't recognize them, how can we battle against them? How can we stand against them? I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials or temptations. They're everywhere. People are spending their whole life trying to avoid trials and temptations. Now, I understand that. But this theological element of Jesus being led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, into it, sometimes causes us... Listen, if you're here today and you're like... I'm going looking for a temptation. I'm going out right now looking for a trial. You're crazy. I mean, Really, why, why would you go do that? But you, being led by the Spirit into the battle that is the earth, the battle that we're engaged in, the battle that we're all called to, if we're a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, then we're at war with the kingdom of darkness. And in that war, there are going to be trials. The kingdom... What is the kingdom of darkness, their greatest tool? Again, I'm going to say it's lying, untruth, speaking against who God is, trying to get worship toward him. So you're going to undergo trials and temptation. Everyone has them. Malcolm Forbes uh, once said, if you have a job without aggravations, you don't have a job. So, and I would extend that to this. If you don't have a life without temptations, you don't have a life. You're already dead because we are at this moment engaged in the battle. Trials, by the way, don't just disappear. They don't just go away. John Foster Dulles once said, the measure of success is not whether you have a tough problem to deal with, but whether it's the same problem you had last year. Some of us have the same problems over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we think if we just ignore it, it'll go away. If we just let it go, then it'll disappear. They don't. Jesus faced the enemy, full frontal attack, and stood against him. And only then did the enemy withdraw to come back at another opportune time. It doesn't say the enemy was never coming back. What did it say? The enemy regrouped in order with the implication that he's going to come back. We don't have the records of that, but they don't just disappear. And then um, this other thought is this. Trials will determine our perspective if it has not been predetermined. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't know that I worded that well. I just like using P words, so I was trying to make things kind of flow together with the other points I was making. But it's this. I believe that, that you predetermine your stance before you get in the moment. Um, one of my what I've tried to teach my children is um, when it comes to sexual purity, if don't put yourself in a position in the moment where you're going to think, oh, I'll stand strong. Because really no one is really that strong. In other words, you have to predetermine what your stance is before you get there. I, I think, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to encourage you to say, look, in a position of health when you're when you're you're with the lord like this time of prayer and fasting this is the time to predetermine what is my stance going to be when faced with a lie could be cultural could be personal could be political could be any how am i going to stand against a lie i'm going to stand in the truth of god's word i'm going to fight the battle We'll see how in just a minute. But I just want to encourage you to predetermine what your stance is going to be. That I'm going to stand for God no matter what. No matter what. It says in James, but each one is tempted. Oh, this is, um, sorry. This is the second point, I think. Yes, it is. You can overcome temptation. Second point, you can overcome, not only are temptations everywhere, but here's what I want you to see. You can overcome them. You don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to be smacked down. Now, some of us are, and can I say this just in love? You're probably going to fail some point. At some point, you're going to stumble and fall. Don't, Don't give in once you do. Instead, get back up. James gives us this great out. What does he say? Confess your sins one to another. Why would he need to say that if no one's ever going to fall? If no one's ever going to stumble and fall? One of the things... um, I've, I've noticed, and by the way, John Mark Comer also mentions in his book, And in this cancel culture in which we live, when someone stumbles and falls, there is no path to atonement. There is no path to forgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you mess up, you're just out. Well, eventually, who's going to be in? Well, no one, because everyone's going to stumble and fall. But our king... The kingdom in which we serve provides a means for forgiveness so that when we do stumble and fall to temptation, we can be forgiven. Now, again, our goal is not to presume upon the grace of God and say, oh, I'm going to stumble and fall, so why even try? God's going to forgive me. He's got to. That's his job. You know, by the way, Jesus says in the temptations, don't test the Lord your God. I think that fits in this category. But understand this. Your job as a follower of Jesus Christ is to hold up a kingdom standard to the world around you and to understand, I can overcome. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom. What kind of freedom? Freedom not to sin. You're not enslaved to sin. You're free not to sin. And you can overcome temptation. But... Each one, according to James, is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. He's making it clear that temptations don't come from God. A lot of it comes from our own evil desires. And so how do we fight our own evil desires? We're going to see that more in just a minute. But to understand that you can overcome it says in 1 Corinthians 10 that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I mean, these promises to me are, are really important for us to understand that we can be overcomers. We don't have to live defeated, sinful lives. We can live victorious lives. God provides a way for us to uh, overcome. Um, Rick Warren, in one of his books, talks about God providing a way out. And just some truths that he shares in this book I've always found helpful. Um, he says, refuse to be intimidated. Refuse to be intimidated by the, by the evil one. Recognize that your pattern of, you've got a pattern of temptation. Uh, your, your struggles are probably not the same as my struggles. And mine, not the same as another person. Recognize the patterns that at times you fall into and be prepared for it. Pray to God for help. And I, I would say as well, not only God, but refocus your attention on, this may sound like a mind game, but I think it's important to, to refocus on the good. In other words, here, here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes we're so focused on our temptation That as a result, now all we can think about is our temptation. And the more I think about it, the more I want to do it. Right? So rather than focusing on that, focus on the goodness of God. Focus on the victory of God. Focus on the word of God. Focus on the presence of God. It's not just a mind game. I think there's a spiritual reality here in which we look to God for our help. Um, Resist the devil through how? the word of God, I'm gonna come back to this in a minute, that the, the, the way even Jesus fought the battle against the lies of the enemy were not with his own truth, but in a way they were, but he's fighting it with the word of God. He's quoting the word of God. Um, be a part of a group. Confess your sins one to another. There is power in verbal confession. Confession is agreement with God. And we think of confession many times as a negative, like my sins. But confession can be also positive, that God is great. That's a verbal confession. The goodness and greatness and deliverance of the Lord. Agree with what God says about you. And be a part of a small group where you can get in and say, look, I'm really struggling here. Please pray for me. Stand in the gap with me. Help me. I'm not going to say here long, but... <clears throat> Many of the people I know who have been picked off decided to go it alone. They decided, I'm strong enough to be by myself. I'm a spiritual giant. And I, I would say, look, you've all got Jesus, but none of you are Jesus. Uh, so at this point, what? What? No, you, none of you are Jesus. None of us are. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the body of Christ and to be a part of a group. So be a, be a part of a be a part of a group, and to realize we're all vulnerable here. None of us is perfect yet. God does provide a way out. Third point is this, and the way I think we really overcome, we have to set our hearts on God's word. We have to set our heart on God and his word. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And what is the phrase Matthew adds? But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew has that extra part in it. We need to overcome by the word of God. This um, This is where fullness, I believe, stands theologically and positionally as a church. We embrace fully the person and work of the Spirit of God. 100% 100% the person work of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's 100%. But it's also 100% of the Word of God. Jesus, led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, battles the enemy, full of the Spirit, but he battles him with the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. We need to stand on the Word of God. The temptation that the... One of the temptations, I think, that the enemy... Think about this, if we battle the enemy with the word of God, where would the enemy maybe try to come against us and to begin for us to question God? It's on the validity of the word of God. He's taking from us, I think, in many church settings, the greatest weapon that we have to battle the enemy with. If you're going to battle the liar, how are you going to battle him? You're going to battle him with truth. Where is truth? Truth is in the word of God. We need to know God's word and stand on his word. I'm old school here, but I'm unapologetically old school. We cannot compromise the word of God. We can't. We can't. The moment that we start to compromise God's word, what we start to compromise is our weapons against the lies of the enemy. And if we're going to battle and overcome temptation, then we're going to do it by God's word, God's power and presence, and being in the middle, I think, of God's people. All those spiritual disciplines that we need to be a part of, worshiping together, studying God's word, meditating on God's word, dwelling in God's word, uh, being filled, being filled with the spirit of God, all of those things give us the the ability to, to battle the lies of the enemy. And if you want to live the joyful, victorious Christian life, I think these things are critical. God's word, God's power, God's presence, God's people, to stand firm against the enemy. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Where do you want to be filled with Joy. Oh, I think I'll be, I'm really joyful when I watch Netflix. You know, that's a temporary, it's like an addiction fix. When it's over, when TikTok, when you've spent two hours watching 100 TikToks, and you thought you were laughing at all of them, that is really joyful. You know what? You're going to feel a little empty afterwards. That's just Mine. I'm not addicted to TikTok, so I can nail it. I've got other problems. Um, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. This is a Jonathan Edwards thought that comes through um, other authors from Piper to um, Sam Storms. And it's this. Me telling you to quit sinning is really, it's futile. I I can tell you to stop sinning, but it's really, you're not going to stop sinning. Because somewhere along the line, somebody has believed the lie, and this is one of the lies of the enemy that comes through the church at times. Some people actually think that sinning is, not sinning is not fun. Did I say that right? In other words, somebody has told people, hey, if you sin, it's really not fun to sin. Well, that's a lie. For most people, there is a pleasure in sin. Otherwise, why would we keep going back to it? There is a pleasure in sin. The, the problem with sin is not that it doesn't bring pleasure. It's that it doesn't bring ultimate pleasure. It leads a thirst when it's gone, actually. That then we have to go back to and drink. And it's like drinking a water that forever increases our thirst. We think it satisfies us for the moment, but it doesn't. And as a result, we end up more thirsty. Instead, the way to stop sinning is to hold up this truth that the greatest pleasure in life is at the right hand of God the Father. Hold up the greater pleasure. What do I want? Do I want this sin which brings me a temporary relief to my thirst but leaves me thirsty? Or do I want to be in the presence of God which satisfies forevermore? We need to raise our vision and see In his word and in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Quoting John Piper, he says this, Faith stands or falls on the truth that the future with God is more satisfying than the one promised by sin. Where this truth is embraced and God is cherished above all, the power of sin is broken. Sin has power through promising a false future. In temptation, sin comes to us and says, The future we've got on this narrow way is hard and unhappy, but the way I promise is pleasant and satisfying. The power of sin is in the power of this lie. We need to recognize the truth that it's in God's presence that there's fullness of joy. All of this is critical the temptation, the overcoming sin, it's because we have a recognition that the one Jesus who ascended to high, on high, in his resurrection body is at the right hand of God the Father right now making intercession for us. And the author of Hebrews says this. He he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, in case you're wondering who it is, he says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The temptation experience of Jesus is that critical. His victory allows him to walk in the ministry And to go to the cross, raised to life, ascended to God on high and is at right hand of God the Father. Why is all of the temptation experience overcoming so important? Because he was tempted in every way just as we are, but yet he'd never sinned. Therefore, he can intercede for us because he knows what we're going through. Let us then, what? Come on. Let's go to the throne of grace and ask for help in time of need so that we can receive mercy and grace and help because we all need it. Church, I believe we are overcomers. We're more than overcomers because of what Jesus has done for us. We have been set free by the power of the Spirit, by the Word of God, because of what the Son of God overcame in the desert, in the wilderness, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. We, we have one. So you're going to leave this place, or maybe you're just sitting here right now facing a temptation, facing a trial, and you're thinking, how am I going to overcome? Get in the Word of God by the power and presence of the Spirit of God. Go to the one, boldly approach the throne of grace and ask for help in time of need. And also, you've got the body of Christ right here. And I think that's a real truth that we are the body of Christ. Maybe you need, maybe there's a breakthrough. You need someone to pray with you for uh, the breaking of a bondage, uh, for deliverance, for, for something that will help set you free from this. Lean into all the tools that God has given you to walk in freedom and in grace. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that um, you paid the price for our forgiveness. Lord, I, I thank you for what you, under, you, you, you went through in the desert, in the wilderness. That because you overcame, we have not only the example, but we can too walk in faith. We, too, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. And we thank you, Jesus, right now you're at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. And that we can co- come boldly before the throne of grace and ask for help in our time of need. So we come right now knowing that there are some of us who need freedom from burdens. We need need habits and chains broken. We need our mind renewed. We need to to walk in your presence and your power this morning. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would move among us. Spirit of God, may your presence fill us to overflowing. Just stand with me, if you would. As we close, we're going we're to make this confession through this great hymn of faith that Jesus provided a way for us to stand against the temptations of the enemy, that where our strength is weak, he, he, his power is perfected in our weakness we'll just lean into him. Join me, Craig, as we worship the Lord and just let these words of confession be a part of who we are.